the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things, put them in your brain. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Funk Radio, your favorite place for funky hits of soul, disco, funk, and R&B. That's true. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Today, since it's, what, three days from Christmas? If my math is correct, and it usually isn't, I think we have three days. <laughs> yeah, so Christmas is in three days, so we thought it would be only appropriate to do a Christmas-themed, or holiday-themed, funk episode. So, Mr. Peter had the genius idea of having us do an album review of probably one of the most famous Christmas-themed albums, the 1973 Motown record album, A Motown Christmas. <laughs> Peter, would you like to tell us more about the album? Sure. So Motown Records, uh, we talked about them a lot on the show, so if you don't know who they are, they were a pretty big uh, record label who produced a lot of the most famous artists of this time in funk and soul and R&B. They were pretty cool. Anyway, so in 1973, they released this compilation Christmas album called A Motown Christmas, and it features kind of a mix of Christmas classics and original songs by their top billing artists of the day. Which is pretty cool. I think that's kind of... You don't really see that anymore where like a record label will re- release compilation albums of all their artists, especially something all together like this during Christmas. I think because nowadays the record labels are more behind the scenes and the artists are more out in forefront, so yeah, they're not really associated with any sort of labels anymore. Even more so, labels aren't producing nearly as many successful artists in under a single house as they used to. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it seems like every artist either has their own record label or there's, like, gigantic ones like Sony that have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of artists. Where it doesn't really mean anything, necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Although Motown did have a lot of uh, people, too. But Yeah, yeah. This, Like I said, this, this album is a compilation, so I think a lot of these artists recorded, you know, these Christmas songs, you know, separately. And they, they even, some of them had their own separate al- Christmas albums. But this is kind of a collection of the best, I guess, Christmas songs that these artists did. So it's pretty cool. This album is 24 tracks long, and actually 25 if you count um, the, ne- the extra song they threw in later on. And it's over 75 minutes, so that's a pretty long album. So you get lots of funk of Christmas in there. That's some pretty short songs. What is that, like three minutes a song on average? Yeah. Christmas songs, yeah, Christmas songs are usually, or holiday songs. Can we say Christmas without I'm people? I'm going to say this right now. We are allowed to say Christmas and talk about Christmas. Yes, it's, it's officially almost Christmas. I think Hanukkah is almost over, if not already. I mean, this whole thing where it's like politically correct now to say holidays, I mean, that's fine, but there's no reason not to talk about Christmas specifically. Uh, yeah, my logic with that is if you want to wish me Merry Christmas or Happy Kwanzaa or Happy Hanukkah, I don't care because it's just it was nice of you to wish me happy anything so i'm not going to be offended if you say any of those or even happy holidays mm-hmm. or happy festivus or <laughs> winter solstice well, i don't care i really don't i don't know why people do <laughs> well like, i mean i guess they don't want to oh my god i'm offended that there's the existence of other religions <laughs> yeah yeah there's no reason for us not to talk about okay. it especially since it's a christmas album so <laughs> true yeah we just go through the whole thing it's a motown holiday <laughs> But they only talk about one. <laughs> yeah. First song coming up off this album that we wanted to highlight is What Christmas Means to Me by Mr. Stevie Wonder. For those of you that don't know, Stevie Wonder joined Motown in 1961 at the tender age of 11. 
Wow. And had I know, right? And had his first major hit with the song Fingertips in 1963. Stevie Wonder, as many of you probably know, was born blind and yet still learned to play piano and many other instruments and sing and was one of Motown's most successful and youngest artists. Mm-hmm. This particular song comes off his own personal holiday album that he released in 1967 called Someday at Christmas, title track of the album Someday at Christmas, off the album Someday at Christmas, he wrote famous song in and of itself, but I wanted to play this one because I like it better. I've never even heard of Someday at Christmas. It's that one where it's like, Someday at Christmas, some men will be boys, play uh, with bombs like kids play with toys, something like, I don't know, okay. whatever. But I know this yeah. one a lot better. So. <laughs> oh yeah, same here. That's why I picked it. Fun random fact before we dive into the song. In 1964, Stevie Wonder appeared in a surfer film <laughs> which in the really? early 60s that was really those were really popular he appeared in the film muscle beach party as himself and sang the song happy feet hmm. that's cool so i thought that was kind of odd because it's like completely like you know a little blind r&b singing black kid appearing in a in a california surfer movie yeah it doesn't really kind of, kind of, out mean, of place. Like, yeah that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't really seem like the place for stevie wonder but that's cool <laughs> what's even better than that is he actually reappeared in the sequel bikini beach Really? Yes. <laughs> well, I guess they liked him enough to bring him back to the beach. Stevie Wonder on the beach. Okay, so um, <laughs> let's listen to a little bit of What Christmas Means to Me by Stevie Wonder. I have to say that's probably, I dare say that's probably my favorite R&B soul Christmas song, if not my favorite Christmas, because I, I really, I really don't like Christmas music. I, for the most part, I don't either, because all of the songs are the same. But the cool thing about, especially about Stevie Wonder, is a lot of the Christmas songs that were popular were ones written by him or written by Motown. So at least it's a little bit refreshing. And this is um, definitely upbeat and fun and memorable. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. My favorite Christmas song, as we're if, if we're going to go into that, unfortunately, is not up here on this album because I don't think he's with Motown, but is um, Donny Hathaway's "This Christmas." Yeah, it's a good song. Yay! Now he didn't write that, obviously. Well, actually, I don't know because when I looked it up and it said I looked up "This Christmas," it said "This Christmas" original song by Donny Hathaway. So maybe he did. Oh, uh, oh, it actually okay. Well, it was originally recorded, and he actually co-wrote it. So yeah, he actually was. That actually was his own song. That's cool. Good for him. I like that song. And he was with Atlantic Records. Yeah. So uh, that's not Motown, but it's another record. Like is Motown in the Atlantic? No. <laughs> I don't think it was ever ever near the Atlantic. Totally watched that movie last night, 2012, because oh, the apocalypse. Yeah. And the, the part where like the whole Earth's crust shifts and like like the North Pole or whatever is in like Wisconsin and stuff just made me think of that i was joking i'm like okay now that the the, the doomsday thing has passed i think 2012 should officially be recategorized as a comedy movie because it I is comical so. that anyone thought that that could ever or whatever happen so okay moving on past doomsday prophecies <laughs> <laughs> that's right so moving on so we have another song 
by one of Motown's biggest uh, groups. It's a girl group, Diana Ross and the Supremes. The song is My Favorite Things. Now, this song was originally from the 1959 musical The Sound of Music, and it's probably one of the most famous songs from that musical and from the movie, as far as I know. I don't know. I don't know. That's the moment that they made the movie with Julie Andrews, right? That's correct. Good movie, really long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've only... I've. I've probably seen it a couple times, but all the times I saw it, I was a little kid, so <laughs> I barely remember it. Mm. Anyway, so this version by Diana Ross and the Supremes was originally from their 1965 album, Merry Christmas. So this is an example where they did their own uh, separate Christmas album, and this was, I guess, eight years prior to this Motown Christmas compilation. That's pretty cool. Something interesting about My Favorite Things is that the song's kind of whimsical lyrics, and they talk about a lot of little things. It wasn't originally a Christmas song, obviously, because it's from this musical, but there's a whole lot of artists that have kind of made this into a, a Christmas song because it apparently has this wintertime imagery that lends itself to, to being a Christmas song, I guess. And I mean, when, when you hear it, and when you listen to the lyrics, you know, it, sounds, it sounds legit, so <laughs> I don't know. It, it, because I've, I've kind of noticed there's more artists who have recorded it as a Christmas song, then it's just, and it's an original theme, so, I don't know, I thought that, I found that kind of interesting. Makes sense. Can you think, I don't, I can't really think of any other songs that kind of became Christmas songs that weren't really meant to be, but. Neither can I. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, oh, I wanted to mention, so when I was researching this song, one of the artists who covered this song, most, probably the most famous cover of this, was by jazz legend John Coltrane, who we talked about last time. Yay. In our jazz episode. And it was interesting because his version is nearly 14 minutes long. That's jazz. <laughs> yeah, that's jazz for you. And I guess that's become basically a jazz staple, um, his version of that. Yeah, no, I like that's I like the jazz version. If we did like a jazz Christmas themed episode, I would totally have mentioned that. Anyway, uh, so let's go ahead and listen to a clip of My Favorite Things by Diana Ross and the Supremes. Awesome song. Definitely sounds very Christmassy. Oh, yeah. I just thought of a song, not a song, but a composition. Okay. That wasn't meant for Christmas that turned into a Christmas song. Oh, really? I'm going to space. The Black Swan. No, not the Black Swan. The Swan Lake song. Where it's like something on the ice. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and I remember like back like the 40s or 50s, Disney did like, you know, they did those Disney Merry Melodies. Oh, yeah, I know. They totally about. did one of that with like these cool ice fairies and stuff, and it like blew my mind as a kid. Mm. I think it was in Fantasia, maybe. But yeah, no, that totally turned into like a Christmassy winter song, mm. even though it was meant for Swan Lake. That's cool. Okay, so I digress. <laughs> That's what we do here on Funk Radio. Yes, we have random brain thoughts, punctuated by long periods of drooling. <laughs> okay, moving down our list a bit here. Another song that I wanted to mention off of the album is My Christmas Tree by The Temptations. For those of you that don't know, Temptations are were a very famous Motown band, originally in sort of that doo soft gospel scene, and then kind of moved more towards harder-edge soul in like the late 60s. They were actually originally pr- propositioned to join Motown in 1960 by Barry Gordy, 
and probably broke their contract with the, with the uh, record label they were currently with Northern Records. So they're just like, yeah, screw you guys, we're going to Motown. Well, yeah, because Motown was like the yeah the golden record label. Yeah, even with. even in the '60s, they were like super awesome, huge, super awesome, fun time. Yes. So yeah, My Christmas Tree is originally off their 1970 album, The Temptations Christmas Card. It seems like a lot of these artists produced sing like their own Christmas albums, obviously just for the mm-hmm. revenue and or their love of Christmas. Probably the revenue. <laughs> yeah, I just love Christmas so much. I want to I want to make 12 songs about it. <laughs> But yeah, this particular song is definitely reminiscent of their early doo-wop work before they kind of became more soulful under the guidance of Norman Whitfield. I think we discussed that way long ago episode. We talked about that, yeah. Which is funny because it's off their 19... It was produced in 1970, so this was by the time they had already gone to that more edgy, James Brown-esque sound. Yeah. But they were obviously still very able to produce their old-style sound of mm-hmm. gospel-y doo-wop. So, without further ado, let's listen to a little clip of My Christmas Tree by The Temptations. songs about christmas trees yeah well i mean it's a good icon of the holiday i guess yeah did you ever in grade school have to do like a christmasy pageant where you dressed up in fancy clothes and sang christmas songs yep yep so did i fourth grade i remember there was a i think we have footage of it somewhere in the archives of storms history there's footage of me on stage dressed up as a christmas tree (laughs) singing i don't think it was i think it was a little christmas tree um which i think it's another song we have on our list. Was it a solo or was everybody singing? No, everyone was singing, but for some reason they decided to make me and one other person a Christmas tree. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, you're too ugly to ever dress up well, so That's terrible. be a Christmas tree. No, no, wait a minute. Who dressed you up as the Christmas tree? Your parents? No, 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 no. The, the school. All it was was like a cardboard cutout with a face cut out, painted, and then like a strap so that it wouldn't like fall off. Sounds classy. Right. So yeah, uh, I like the, scarring. I, I like the I, I like the idea that you're that you didn't have any nice clothes as a kid, so your parents just dressed you up as a Christmas tree. And made you go. I, I like that idea better. Yeah. So yeah, sc- scarring, scarring moments of childhood there. Okay. So another song that I wanted to bring up is one of the most more famous Christmas songs in really in enti- in the entirety of the Christmas, Christmas song compendium is the song "I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus" by the Jackson Five. The song was originally written in 1952, and the Jackson's Five's cover version is arguably the most popular due to both the success of the band and the signature sound that they applied to the song that would actually be mimicked by future artists. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they were they were hugely popular in their own right, so pretty much anything they would do, I imagine, would become pretty popular. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they were the first to really apply more of that soulful R&B sound to it, which kind of redefined the song, because the original song didn't sound nearly as soulful right but a uh, fun side fact is uh the jackson five in 1968 opened for the band bobby taylor and the vancouvers who were currently being produced at motown and the lead singer bobby taylor was so impressed with them that he actually committed to get them an audition at motown as he similarly did with another famous artist gladys knight hmm. 
So kind of. So most, this was before they were in Motown, but then he got them. Yeah, this by this time they were semi popular, but they were being they were kind of doing their own thing down in Indiana, and then they opened for Bobby, I think, in like Chicago in a in a hmm. concert up there, and he's like, "Dang, you guys are good." Jerry didn't say that it was exact words, but um, <laughs> yeah, he and he got them an audition, and they went and sang. I think they sang some James Brown song, and hmm. Mr. Gordy liked it, and. I guess the rest was history. Well, kudos to Bobby Taylor for getting them and Gladys Knight into Motown, gosh. Right? Which is kind of sad because, I mean, I've heard of Bobby Taylor, but I guarantee if you ask, like, 99% of people, have you heard of Bobby Taylor in, the, in Vancouver, they're going to be like, no, and they're going to say, have you heard of the Jackson 5? They're going to be like, yeah. Yeah. Same with Gladys Knight. That's how you make your mark sometimes. Yeah. Good on them. Good on a lot of Motown artists, really, for kind of helping other people become famous like that. Giving them a shot. Yeah. Okay, let's now listen to a little clip of I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus by the Jackson 5. I'd say this is a, a pretty well done version of the song. Although I've, I have to say, I've never really been a fan of the song because I find it kind of creepy. It is a little creepy. I mean, <laughs> obviously, if you're not a child, you realize that Santa Claus is just the dad dressed up as Santa. But right. if you're a kid and you're like, oh, mom's kissing Santa Claus. Like, what are you going to think? Your mom's like a hoe or something. Like, she's just, oh, oh. <laughs> she's just going around kissing all the mythical creatures. <laughs> I saw mommy loving up on the Easter Bunny. Whatever happened with that movie, The Guardians, did that ever come out? It did. About all the mythical creatures that fight crime together or something? Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen it. I don't know how successful it's been doing, but I've had a few friends that saw it, and they said that the effects are good, the story's kind of weak, and it seems like, at least because it's an animated film, at least for the artistic style, it seemed very pieced together. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 was that uh, DreamWorks? Yes, yeah, I really don't really know anything about it. So I, just... I, I yeah, it came out like in November, and I was just like, oh, I didn't even know. I don't know. It wasn't uh, it wasn't one of the films I was re- like animated films I was really looking forward to. I much yeah. preferred like Wreck-It Ralph and stuff. That movie was really good. Right. Yeah. I still need to see Paranorman. I never saw that when it was in theaters, but everybody said it was like amazing. So I didn't see it either. I know, right? We should see it. It's at the the two dollar theater now. Oh, really? There we go. $2. Maybe I don't know. I have to check. Two dollar theater where is where it's at. We encourage you listeners, if you if you want, you can try to see if your local area has a very cheap movie theater where you can see movies a couple months later, <laughs> but still in the movie theater for like only a couple dollars. So Anyway, so related to the Jackson 5, obviously the most popular musician to come out of the Jackson 5 was Michael Jackson, who we all know and love. No, it was obviously Tito. Tito Jackson. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, um, so this whole album of 24, 25 songs only has one song by Michael Jackson by himself, which is interesting. So this was written and recorded by Michael Jackson in 1973, which is the same year that this album came out. But he actually um, wrote and recorded recorded this during that summer of 1973, I guess, to get it ready, you know, in time for the Christmas season later on. And this was when he was 15 years old. 
so that's pretty young. It was I was reading that he was like the third youngest to have because in the year before he had his first number one hit called Ben, and he was 14 when that came out, uh, and he that that made him the the third youngest artist at Motown to have a number one hit. I think behind um, Stevie Wonder, as we were saying before, and then someone else. I don't remember who it was. So I was actually reading an article that was Michael Jackson recounting the experience of how the song came about. What happens, it was he was talking with two Motown producers, and they wanted to know what his next song was going to be. He said, Michael said, well, how about a, uh, a Christmas song that could be maybe as popular as my as Ben, my other number one single? And they, they were excited, and they were like, hey, can we, can we hear part of it? And he's like, well, we're not, we're not ready for it yet. You know, we can show you on something on Monday. And they said, oh, okay. But in reality, Michael hadn't even started on it yet. He had no idea what he was going to do. He kind of just blurred stuff out. <laughs> so this meeting he was having was on Friday. And then on the following Monday, he was supposed to demo this this Christmas song to the producers. And he had absolutely nothing. So he called up um, writer George Clinton, who he, I guess he had worked with before. And over that weekend, they basically just sat down and banged out this this Christmas song. They demoed it on Monday for the producers, and they really liked it. So it's kind of impressive. Was this before George Clinton had his funky fame? This was not George Clinton. I don't think this was the same George Clinton. That... Oh, that's just confusing. Oh, yeah, I guess it is George. Well, yeah, I just realized that that's the same name as the other guy. So. Yeah, I, it's totally funny imagining George Clinton sitting down with a 15-year-old Michael Jackson writing song, writing a Christmas song. Yeah. Yeah, this was George S. Clinton. He was a composer and a songwriter, so he he was a completely different person from George Clinton, the founding oh. member of Parliament Funkadelic, who <laughs> very different sound uh, I in like, the 70s. I like my story better. I'm so I'm just <laughs> it's, gonna. It's definitely a, a funny. If you know what George Clinton, the the funk guy, looks like, go look him up, because then it'll give you a, a very funny image of him sitting down with 15 year old Michael Jackson thinking up a song about Christmas <laughs> during the summer of 1973. <laughs> anyway, um, one other interesting thing that I was reading about the song is that actually Michael was the one who had the idea for this whole Motown Christmas album in the first place. Really? Yeah, because he he recorded this song, this Christmas song, as we were saying, and I guess it didn't get put up as a single in time for the Grammys that year, so he was really upset about that. So he said, hey, why don't we just make this compilation album for all these different artists all kind of put together. And then, so I guess that's how he got this uh, the song on on the album. Nice. And that also explains why this is the only song by, by him specifically. So he basically is just like, hey, let's make an album of all these other artists just so I can get my song out there. Pretty much. <laughs> if I if I understood it correctly, yes, that's, that's what happened. That's funny. Well, why don't we go listen to a clip of Little Christmas Tree by Michael Jackson. I'm a little Christmas tree tomorrow. Jackson before he and this was even yeah. really kind of before he really had a good big solo career so good for yeah him. I mean this is right at the beginning of a solo career basically within the first year or two mm. pretty cool okay moving right along another song that we wanted to mention uh, is probably the most famous Christmas song of all time Jingle Bells which a cover was done by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles this song was actually ori- originally written by James Lord Pierpont 
1857. Probably one of the oldest Christmas songs out there. Obviously one of the most popular and commonly sung Christmas hymns. It's funny because it's a hymn, but it really almost has nothing to do with religion. Is it really? Yeah. I mean... It has uh. nothing to do with like religion at all. It's just about people in sleighs and crap. Cool. But yeah, the Smokey Robinson version, and we'll listen to a little clip of it here in a sec, is definitely very influenced by Robinson's doo-wop and soft R&B slash gospel upbringing at Motown. The song features him as lead with the miracles as the backing singers for the chorus. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's cool because he provides a much more modern and like uplifting version of the song in the vein of gospel music. A lot of like repeated lines mm-hmm. and sort of like that gospel sound. Because yeah. the original Jingle Bells is very, I mean, is as simplistic as it is. It's it seems like the kind of song that should be sung by like older boys. <laughs> I suppose so. So yeah, let's listen to a little clip of the gospel sounding Jingle Bells by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. I didn't actually know that they were kind of gospel related. I guess I didn't. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about them. But yeah, they. Um, Smokey Robinson was actually one of the lead, like writery, producery, creative types uh, that helped to influence the Temptations mm-hmm. before Norman Whitfield took over. Well, I know he was a big producer at Motown, and eventually became the president at some point. Oh, good for him. So obviously he was a big player at, at the label, but. Yeah, I, I didn't know that they had that that influence. So. Yeah, they. I mean, because they originally started in that in that late '50s, early '60s doo-wop scene, but then kind of were more influenced by. Without him, though, right? Yeah, because he didn't come into later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when he came in, he kind of added that gospely sound, which they became a little bit more known for, and also influenced other artists like The Temptations. Pretty crunchy, if you ask me. <laughs> you know what else is crunchy? Snow. That's actually true. Which we don't have here because we live in Southern California, which really is sad. The only time of the yeah, year I, I can I can do without the snow. I think I'm okay. I I can do out without the snow except for like the three days of Christmas. Like the three days of Christmas, I don't care if you're in the Sahara Desert, it should snow because it's pretty and it's like you're living in a snow globe. And then some child picks it up and shakes it really hard. And then, and then you realize, Christmas gets turned up and then you hard. realize that your entire the entire universe that you live in is actually inside the snow globe in the mind of an autistic child. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that don't know what the hell we're talking about, um, there was a show in the 80s called St. Elmo's Fire, I think. It was at this hospital, and it was, you know, in the vein of ER and stuff, it was like one of those hospital dramas. But at the end of the show, because they realized they were being canceled, they decided to say, screw it. And at the very end of the last episode, the hospital zooms out, and you see a miniature version of it in like a snow globe. And it's like in the room of like a, a, like a dying autistic child or something. <laughs> It basically implicates that the entire show and the universe is was in the mind of this young boy, and it's funny because there's this like weird film theory that because so many other shows after that reference the Saint Elmo's Fire or the hospital or scenes from that show that there's this weird idea that there's like a web of like universal canon linking any show with Saint Elmo's Fire. So like all of these spin-off shows and shows that were referenced are all in the mind of an autistic child. 
there's it's really bizarre. <laughs> yeah, the, someone sent me a long time ago. There's like actually like a graphic like web thing that someone made showing how all the different shows linked together. Well, because not only are some shows you know directly bladed to it, but then they web out from there because shows reference each other. Exactly. Have crossovers. Exactly. So it all connects to itself. Yes, really in this weird strange. exponential creepy way that's kind of a stretch, but kind of funny to think about. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I want... I'm done rambling. One last song that we want to talk about from this album is called I Want to Come Home for Christmas by Marvin Gaye. Now, uh, this song actually did not was not part of the, the original release of this album, which is kind of strange because he was one of the big performers for this label. So it's kind of surprising that he doesn't. Although there, there might be a reason for that, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, this was actually added to the end of the album in the 1999 re-release. So quite a number of years after um, the original release, but that's okay. So he originally recorded it in 1972, which was the year before this album came out. The the guy who originally was starting to write this song, Forrest Hairston, he was coming up with this idea after seeing uh, people tying yellow ribbons around trees for Vietnam War POW troops. 72 was when Nixon completely crushed George McGovern. Despite the unpopularity of the war, they had a big surge uh, in 72 that may, started making the war look like it could have been won. So people started siding with the war and Nixon, and he trumped McGovern, I think like 66% to 33 or something close to that. It was like the worst trouncing in presidential U.S. history. That's funny. And then two years later, he had the Watergate scandal, and just got with his pants down and was a national disgrace. So Anyway, so this guy Forrest Harrison, he was friends with Marvin Gaye, and I guess while he was coming up with this song, Marvin Gaye stopped by his house. We're just like, hey, what's up? And this guy told him about the song he was working on, and then the, and then Marvin Gaye ended up helping him finish the song with writing uh, melody and harmonies. It was pretty cool the thought to think that Marvin Gaye just stops by your house and then you and he helps you write a song. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Gaye took the track to Los Angeles and produced it himself, and then uh, he recorded the song himself and he did it all in one take, which is kind of impressive. But I guess that's Marvin Gaye for you. Anyway, so he went back to Harrison's house and he played the song for him. And when Harrison heard the song for the first time, he went and hugged Marvin Gaye because he was so thankful for helping him make it a success. So I thought that was kind of a cool little story. That is pretty cool. And then Marvin Gaye helped him finish the song, then he recorded it and produced it for him. And then he got to hug Marvin Gaye. <laughs> and everyone knows hugging Marvin Gaye is a, a super privilege. Yeah. If when, did, uh, when did he die? Because that was not that long after this. 19... Right? 1981? 84. Oh, okay, so this was a while. Oh, I was close. But that's still kind of cool that he got to know he was he was kind of like on a regular friend basis with him since he was so so cool. Yay. The reason I wanted to bring up I don't know anything about this but the reason it might not have been included on this album originally and might not have gotten that much um, airplay was because I know because it had its roots in you know talking about the Vietnam War and stuff mm-hmm. as with some of other uh, of Gay's songs. Oh, it might have been a little controversial when they originally. There might have been controversy. They didn't want to deal with it. That definitely makes sense, especially in 73, because Nixon had just come from an awesome win, giving yeah. support to the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Well, because his other song, What's Going On? Yeah. Because that was, that was released right around the same time, right? Uh, I think What's Going On was in, like, 69? No, it was in, that was in 71. Oh. So that was only a year before this, actually. So oh. it was around the same time. Well, there you go. But, I mean, that was about the same thing, right? I mean, it yeah. was, that was about the war, mm-hmm. so... I know there was always, especially with Motown, there was always a little bit of hesitating to release songs when they were more controversial like this. Which is a shame, especially because late 60s, early 70s, after the assassination of Martin Luther King, there was a lot of, I guess, still a little bit of racial turmoil, and they could have really done a lot of good 
to have been more politically active, but they, I guess, I decided on the air of caution because they didn't want to upset the white people. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, not only white people, but just in general. Because, yeah. I mean, just the war in general, I think that was a really big... I mean, no matter what race you are, I think a lot of people were really torn over that whole thing. Yeah, kind of most war. I think the only big wars we weren't torn over were like World War One and Two. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess we should go ahead and listen to a clip of this song. Okay. Uh, this is I Want You to Come Home for Christmas by Marvin Gaye. So I guess that wraps up uh, that wraps up the songs that we wanted to talk about from this album. Like we said, there's I guess with with the Marvin Gaye song, there's 25 tracks on this album, which is quite a lot. And we only talked about six or seven or so. So yeah, each, each artist has at least like two, if not three. So yeah, I think if it was if it was a more modern album, normally we would tell you to go buy the album, but it might not be that easy to find. Yeah, since it's that old. Um, you talking about it. You can find like anything you want on iTunes well, or Spotify. Or... Well, yeah, I mean, you can find it, but if you don't necessarily want to go buy it, you can use uh, Spotify, which Kyle has been graciously pushing me to use. Like, I wouldn't recently. say graciously. I kind of like beat you over the head with it. It's an easy way to go, just go be able to listen to the whole thing without necessarily having to buy it. Now, if you want to go play it in your car or something, obviously you'll have to go buy it. Or if you just want to support these artists who are mostly dead or not performing anymore, then you can obviously go, go buy it as well if you want to play it all year round. Yay. Or just go to the, like, the Best Buy or Walmart $5 bargain bins. And hope that they have it there. Yeah, they, they might. You never know. Especially around Christmas time. they got to have like bargain Christmas albums. Yeah. Actually, not that related to that thought, but yeah. somewhat. Whenever I go paw through um, vinyls at the thrift store... Uh-huh. Because you're, so, you're a super hipster. are Christmas albums by people I've never heard of, and it's all terrible. That makes. But there's always whole sections of them dedicated to Christmas music. So, I, it, wasn't it Gary or somebody who found like a Spock Christmas album? What, oh yeah. Yeah. That's true, but then it was like sixty-five bucks or something. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's insane. Yeah, we're like, we're not gonna buy that. That's ridiculous. Well, because I don't, I never liked that store that much because the guy, despite looking like the guy from Up, was kind of mean and ungracious for our business so yeah did we ever give him any business well even when we were in there he just like we were just perusing around and he just gave us like the evil stink eye the whole time like okay well i guess that's what happens when you own a record store in the middle of of a college area i don't really know how places like that stay in business because i mean it's, it's, it's cool to go it's cool to go look around through records like that because i guess it's kind of a novelty for our generation yeah, I don't know how places like that stayed in business. Because, I mean, there's never anybody in there. I don't know. I, I don't know how half of those antique stores in there stayed in business when, like, there was nothing but college kids around. who They don't have the money to go antiquing. I know. <laughs> anyway, like we said, go check out that album. It's called A Motown Christmas. It was released in 1973, so quite quite a number of years old. But still, these songs are pretty cool. And there are definitely some really good renditions of existing Christmas songs that you may already know. And also some originals as we were talking about. If you like this type of music, then yeah, this album is definitely something to go check out because it's, it's really cool. 
Yeah, yeah. I played it a lot last year when I first discovered it. I played through this album while me and my dad put up our Christmas tree back like really <laughs> early December. Because originally I was just playing regular music and my mom's like, no, we have to have Christmas music while we put up Christmas decorations. She sounds exactly like that, too. No, not really. She's nice. But yeah, so we played through. I'm like, okay, whatever. If I'm going to play Christmas music, I want to play soul Christmas music. So I play this album. We hope you listeners have a very Merry Christmas. And we are allowed to say that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, we hope you enjoy any holiday or that if Or but, a very happy Hanukkah. I don't know if that's still going on because it's, what, 12, 11 days, 9 days? I don't even know. I don't know, but we hope whatever whatever holiday or tradition that you celebrate, we hope you enjoy it. Yay. I guess, yeah, I, Merry Christmas. I hope we don't get shot down for saying I, that. I really don't think we're in a state to, like, get hate mail by people because we wish them a Merry Christmas. Okay, everyone have an awesome Christmas. Be safe. Don't drink and drive. Don't smoke and fly. Um, Look both ways before you cross the street. Yeah. Always tip your mailman. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I've never heard that one. People always get, like, big fat tips around Christmas, like, mailman and hair people because, you know, it's like a Christmas bonus. Okay. Love well, you. Well, enjoy your, enjoy your life, people. And enjoy your life, Peter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Bye. Merry Christmas. And other holidays. <laughs> and Happy New Year. Oh yeah, we can all too. agree on that. Yeah, Hopefully, we'll have an episode up before New Year. So. Yay. Yay. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8 Circuit.com.